<laughs> Perfect, thank you guys. <laughs> okay guys, good evening. It's a joy, uh, as always, to be with you and to open God's word with you tonight. Um, yeah, there's some pencils here. There you go. Don't take a okay. trip to that and stuff. And if, if you guys can, if you do use a pencil, just try and put it back in this mug here, okay? Anybody else? Anybody else? I don't want to throw it at you. I was really tempted to throw it at you. Okay. This is just to help you guys, okay? Okay, guys, listen up. Grab your Bibles and open to, as we continue our journey through the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 11. Matthew 11. And we're going to be in verses 25 to 30 tonight. Matthew 11, 25 to 30. Let me pray for us just once more as we reorient ourselves from the transition of of the, the wonderful songs that we just sang, okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us to uh, these next few moments together. Thank you for this place and for ultimately uh, your son and your word that you have given to us, Lord, uh, to give us true life. Help us to see Uh, that reality tonight in your word. Uh, Thank you for these young uh, men who are here tonight, Lord. I pray for their attention spans, that you would give grace there, and that uh, you would teach them, Lord, by your word, and that we would humble ourselves under your word tonight and to receive it by faith. And it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Okay. The title of our lesson tonight is... The best invitation ever. And if you're anything like me, you love getting some kind of invitation, don't you? Um, especially with your name on it, right? Uh, to go to a, whether it's a birthday party, okay, or to the zoo, or an NFL game, or to Six Flags, or okay, you name it. We love getting invitations. We love great invitations where we can either get something or be part of something or experience something, right? We love those invitations. I remember when I was 17 years old, that was a long time ago, it was a dark and rainy Northern California day in January. I just got home from work And like normal, I would check the mailbox, and normally it was just bills to pay or trash to throw away. But this time, there was one envelope, and it was addressed to me, and it was from Charles and Neva Teagle. Those are my grandparents, whom I dearly loved. I opened that envelope with my name on it, and it reads, Dear Grandson, You are invited to come with Grandma and Grandpa to the Holy Land this October. Love, Grandma. The amazing thing about this invitation, as I found out later, was that they had already purchased my ticket without me even knowing. Now, remember, the letter said, You are invited. Well, Can't I choose to decline the invitation? 
I suppose yes, but how could I refuse such a once-in-a-lifetime invitation, right? Now, hopefully you see where we're going with this lesson tonight. We're talking about God's sovereignty in his salvation invitation and man's response to that invitation. God's free will versus man's free will. In our passage tonight, we see both God's invitation to believe and yet God's very choosing. Man's responsibility to be saved yet man's inability to save himself. Now, I know what you're thinking, probably right off the bat. If you're really thinking and you're really listening so far in the lesson, you may think God's will to choose and man's responsibility to believe doesn't make sense. But the fact is, they go hand in glove together. These are twin truths And they are both clearly taught in your Bibles without contradiction in tonight's passage. So I trust you're opened to Matthew 11, verses 25 to 30. Please read along as we read God's word together. It says, At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. The theme of our lesson tonight is how salvation involves both God's choosing and man's choice. Point number one on your outline. How salvation involves both God's choosing and man's choice. Now, we have to grab the surrounding events here of, of the text that we just read, okay? As we, as we start to enter this passage, we must remember and see the context of what's happening. I mean, I, don't you hate coming into the middle, jumping into the middle of a book, or jumping into the middle of a movie, and you don't know, wait, how did they get to that point? Wait, what's going on, right? I don't know about you, but for me, I can't stand that. Rewind, start from the beginning. I need the context. We need the full picture of what's happening of what we just read tonight. Look at the first phrase that you see here in, in Matthew eleven twenty five. 25. See how it starts? At that time. You see that? At that time. What, what time is it? What's, what's going on here? Well, Jesus has recently sent out the disciples to proclaim the gospel. He's warned them about persecution and unbelief of the message that they're going to give. He tells them that's going to happen. He's recently told the crowds how John the Baptist was the greatest man ever to live because he preached the truth and prepared the way for the Messiah, yet the people rejected him and hated his message because his message didn't line up with their wisdom and intelligence. So at this time, guess what? People are not believing John the Baptist. 
And you know what Jesus said about John the Baptist? There is no one greater. If there's no one greater, nobody's listening to him. They're not not believing what he's saying about the Messiah. Also, at that time, as we see in the beginning of our text, Jesus had just denounced the cities that did not repent, even though they saw all of his miracles. They saw it all. These cities would not repent of their sins because that's foolishness to them. That command does not line up with their wisdom and intelligence. Doesn't line up with their thinking. But this rejection of who Christ is, he's the son of God, he is salvation, he is wisdom incarnate. This rejection of Christ, it doesn't give Jesus a hiccup or a bump in the road of his ministry. Jesus isn't biting his nails, dangling his feet over the edge of heaven, worrying about those who don't repent and don't believe. He's not defeated by thoughts like this because he knows the Father's plan. And so, in your Bibles, at this time, okay, in the midst of unbelief the size of Texas, at this time, what does he do? In the midst of the rejection of Jesus Christ and all that John the Baptist has said and all the unbelief in the midst of it, what does Jesus do? Do you see what the text says? Look at what he does. It says he, tell me. Praises him. He praises and thanks the Father. I don't know about you, but if I was Jesus, if I was God, I'd be like, man, I'm done with his people. I'm out of here. But that's me, and I'm not God. What does Jesus do? He praises and thanks the Father for this very plan, the plan of redemption with which the Son and the Father and the Holy Spirit have been united in before the world began. Nothing's going to mess up Jesus' plan for the redemption of his people. So we, as well, should be praising the Lord for that. So that brings us to point one. Point number one. We want to see the Father's requirement for salvation. I don't know about you, but I, I've struggled with the word requirement many times. R-E-Q-U-I-R-E-M-E-N-T. To this very day, I struggle with that word. Don't laugh at me, okay? <laughs> the Father's requirement for salvation, and that's in verses 25 to 26. Now, look at the Son Look at how the son praises the father for who he is. Who who, who does he say he is? He praises him. I praise you, father, who is what? What does he say? You are what? You're Lord, that's right, of heaven and earth. Now listen, there are many who will agree and make this claim, okay? Uh, They'll speak of how he is creator of and master over all things, how nothing is out of his control, how he's designed the human body and how there's not one rogue molecule in all the universe that he's not in control of. They'll agree to that. And that's an awesome feat, wouldn't you say? What a powerful, mighty God he is. And many agree, will agree with the words of Jesus here that God is Lord of heaven and earth, but many will not accept his explanation of how he is Lord of heaven and earth. In other words, people would not accept to what extent 
To what degree is he Lord of heaven and earth? Well, you could go through a list again. Uh, Over every lightning bolt? Is he sovereign and perfectly in control over every lightning bolt? What about every car accident? What about every birth? What about every death? What about every breath? He's sovereign over it. Nothing takes him by surprise. He doesn't react. He acts. And, and people, many, 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 many people believe this. But what about, is he sovereign over the salvation of every one of his children? Listen, there are many across the world that will believe he's sovereign, but salvation? That's my deal. That's my deal. He is sovereign in salvation. And yes, Jesus praises the Father for this requirement of salvation. The requirement is that, number one, that he's sovereign, but we'll see in a minute what another requirement is in that equation. He says, what, what, so, so what, does he, what does he praise the Father for here? We see it in our, in our text tonight, okay? I praise you, Father... Lord of heaven and earth, that what? That you have hidden these things. These things. What are these things? These things are the things concerning the kingdom of God, salvation, life eternal. Now, what about this word hidden? Hidden. It's actually in the Greek, it's apocrypto. Crypto. What's that sound like in English? What's that? Okay, it's actually where we get the word cryptic, okay? Cryptic, hidden, um, secret-like, mysterious-like. I praise you, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden, hidden these things. Now, it's not that God is playing hide-and-seek, okay? Or, 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 Or that he's trying to make things difficult for mankind to believe. God is clear in his word about who he is, about what he's done, and about what he's doing. Crystal clear. Okay? My, my six-year-old that's at home tonight getting ready for bed understands what God's word says about who he is, what he's done, and what he's going to do. It's crystal clear. But he says, I praise you, Father, Lord, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things. It's the Father who's doing this. It but rather, we have to keep this in mind too. According to 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, Satan blinds the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ. But at the very same time, as Ephesians 2 says, man is dead in his sin and cannot respond to God. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, the natural man does not receive the things of God. Well, so then, what, what is it then in this text about God the Father hiding things of the kingdom and life-transforming truth? What is this then? Hint, hint. Let's keep reading. And the answer's there. Who is he hiding it all from? Someone tell me. Who is God the Father hiding these things from? Satan? No. The wise. The what? 
the wise and and intelligent. What is the wise and intelligent? It is the wise and the intelligent of the world. The the self-righteous. The proud. The the, the pride-filled wisdom and intelligence of man's thinking. Proverbs 3.6 says, Do not be wise in your own eyes. How many of us struggle with that? (laughs) Yeah. Woo! We should be raising our hands to the ceiling. Do not be wise. Thanks, Seth. Do not be wise in your own eyes, your own heart, your own thinking. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. James says, the Lord is opposed to the proud, that is stiff-armed. The Lord is stiff-armed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So we see here the Father's requirement for salvation in that he hides the kingdom with all its salvation blessings in Christ from the wise and intelligent, but reveals it all to who? What's it say? Infants. Infants. Reveals it to infants. Now this word reveals is apoclipto, which is where we get the word apocalypse. You've heard of that word before. It means to uncover or to pull the lid off of something. That's the word that they would use in, in, in the Bible times it, it, to, to open a lid. Okay? Uncover it. Show forth what's in it. God the Father reveals, shows it to infants, babies, little, little, little children. So, now, by the way, Jesus speaking this in the midst of the crowds, the Pharisees, the scribes, the the self-righteous, proud uh, priests standing around, they would have been insulted to hear something like this. Very much so. Babes, infants, inheriting the kingdom of God, God showing them the things of God. Here's the thing about infants, babies. Complete dependence. Complete trust in mom and dad. Complete humility. Remember what Jesus said in his first beatitude as he began the Sermon on the Mount back in chapter 5? His first words, blessed Happy are the poor in spirit. That is beggars. Blessed are the beggars. Those who know they are spiritually bankrupt and have nothing to offer to God. For theirs is the, what? The kingdom of heaven. No one ever enters the kingdom of God as proud and self-sufficient. In fact, Lucifer... Satan was cast out of, heaven, out of the kingdom of God for his high-handed pride. 1 Peter 5 says instead, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you at the proper time. The wise and intelligent, those, those who reject the gospel, who reject the Messiah, who think they know it all and think they will be fine on the day of judgment, God hides the things of salvation from them. From them. But those who humble themselves, that is, those who acknowledge their sin and are broken before the holy God of the universe, to these belong his kingdom. 
This is the Father's requirement for salvation. Matthew 18, you must become humble like children to enter the kingdom of heaven. You must have childlike faith with complete and undoubting trust in the person and finished work of Christ. But oh, that is so hard for our pride. Because we think we know it all, we think we're strong enough, we think we're wise enough, rich enough, whatever it is, I don't need God. So after Jesus prays this prayer out loud before the crowd, by the way, okay, the people are hearing this prayer, this short, short prayer to God the Father. After Jesus prays this prayer out loud before the crowd, I praise you, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. He confirms it by saying, yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. Verse 26. That is God's way. This way was well-pleasing. Listen, being a father myself, it is so well-pleasing in my sight (laughs) when one of my children come to me with a humble attitude, a humble request, not with a proud, arrogant, know-it-all attitude. And these Pharisees and these scribes and these priests around Jesus and the people during that time, they were the know-it-alls. Oh, we know the law of God. Oh, we practice the law of God. We do all these things. But they didn't know him. They didn't know him. And so the things of the kingdom were actually hidden from them, the wise and the intelligent of the day. So this is the Father's requirement for salvation, for this incredible life-saving relationship with him. Humility and childlike faith. But this is impossible apart from the sovereign grace of God, which we see in the next verse, in order to enter this relationship with him. Which brings us to point number two. The son's sovereignty in salvation. The son's sovereignty in salvation. Verse 27. Need help smelling that one? Sovereignty? S-O-V-E-R-E-I-G-N-T-Y. The son's sovereignty in salvation. I, <laughs> I remember when, when my dad handed me the keys to our house one time. And I was actually 17 also at this time. He handed the keys to the house to me. He handed me the keys to the car, to the mailbox, to everything important in order to temporarily have authority and power over it all while he and my mom went on their anniversary trip. I felt at that moment and during those three days, I felt like a king. <laughs> like, I, like I owned it all. Like I had authority over it all. Now this did not mean I became someone I was not, but that said a lot about our relationship that we had as, as father and son. Well, verse 27 reveals to us Jesus' understanding of who he is. It shows us the supreme authority of God the Father within the relationship of the Trinity because he's handing all things to the Son. And the all things that you see there, which the Father has handed to the Son, refers to everything needed to carry out the ministry of redemption and complete the work of salvation for all his children. But how is this accomplished? How is this done? By God revealing himself. By God showing himself. 
Listen, verse 25 said, God the Father reveals himself to little children. But how? Verse 27 says, the Son reveals the Father. Salvation and the things of the kingdom belong to those to whom the Son wills to reveal the Father. Now, if I ask you tonight, do you know God? I think most of you would probably say yes. But to what extent? Like when, if someone asks you, do you know God? Is that just referring to, I have basic knowledge of God? I know facts about God? Or do you know him in a saving way? Because warning, 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 James chapter 2 verse 19 says, even the demons believe and know that Jesus is the Son of God, and they tremble. Jesus, in verse 27, says, no one knows this deep, this word knowledge is, 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 it's not just knowing a fact, okay? Oh, I know who won the Super Bowl. Okay, big deal. That's a, it's a fact. This is about knowing in a deep relationship, like a husband and a wife, or friendships. Jesus says in verse 27, no one knows the Son like the Father does. And no one knows the Father like the Son does. This is a picture of the eternally intimate, close relationship of the Trinity. And because all things concerning the rescue mission of God for sinners has been placed in the hands of Jesus, the Son, he says, I choose to whom I will reveal the Father. In John 17, verse 3, you know what eternal life is? This is eternal life, Jesus says, that they may know you, the one true God. John 6, 37, Jesus says, all that the Father gives me might come to me. That's not what it says. John 6, 37 says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. Jesus then says later, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So what's the point? Here's the point. The Son is sovereign in salvation because all things have been handed over to him by the Father. Jesus is the sovereign Savior. All things are subject to Jesus Christ. All things are put under his feet by the Father, including salvation. So we've seen the Father's requirement for salvation, which is humility, and, and, and must have faith like a child. And that's the one to whom God reveals himself. And we've seen the, son, the Son's sovereignty in salvation. It is he who shows us God and opens the darkened eyes of our hearts and shows us the King in all of his kingdom glory. 
The Son chooses to whom he'll reveal the Father, and only God can truly show us who God is. Only God can show himself to us. It is he who humbles our proud, worldly, wise hearts in order to see our sin and see his glory and repent and be saved. The Son does this amazing work of salvation. But now we come to the soul's call to salvation. Point three here, coming up. But now wait a second. Hold on. Verse 25 to 27 says, God chooses to whom he'll reveal himself. And now verses 28 to 30 says, Jesus says to the people, choose God, your maker, your savior. Come to me. Is there a contradiction here? No. This is the sovereign kindness and call of God to all who would believe and be saved. So let's see it. Point three, the soul's call to salvation. What is the command? You guys see what the command is there in verse 28 that Jesus gives? Three words. Just stop at the first three words. What does it say? What's the command? There's a command here that Jesus gives. Yes. Come to me. Come to me. Can it get any more simple than that? Come to me. Now, who are the listeners here? Well, what are the listeners described as here? What are they described as? What kind of people are, is, he, is he talking to? Come to me, you who are... Who, what? What kind of people? Come to me, the wise and the intelligent, you who know it all. <laughs> what does he say? Weary. Yeah. You who are weary and what? Heavy laden. Heavy laden. What's the result? You see what the, the result is? If In obedience to this command, what's the result? What, what are you going to get out of this? What are you going to get if you come to him? You are weary and heavy laden. What are you going to get? Yes. Rest. Rest. Good. But we have to ask the question here. Who are these people who are weary and heavy laden? What does that mean? Is he talking to those who are tired from a long day's journey? Or a hard work week? Or a hard week of school? Or, or you're burdened? And, and heavy laden by the fact that you have slow Wi-Fi or your, your video game broke or your car broke or things aren't going your way? Is this the kind of people that he's talking to here? No. No, silly rabbit. He's not speaking here of physical burdens. Rather, it was the heavy burden of the system of works that the Pharisees laid on the backs of people that Jesus was offering to relieve. In fact, Jesus rebukes the Pharisees for this very truth. In Matthew 23, verse 4, he says, They, the Pharisees, they tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. The Pharisees added over 600 laws and regulations for holy living. They went far beyond God's word. And that is a heavy, crushing burden. I mean, guys, there's just silly laws and rules that were made in the first century that people thought because the Pharisees, the holy ones, the Pharisees taught them this, that they have to do this in order to be right with God and to, be, to grow in holiness. Things like on the Sabbath day, 
If your animal falls into a ditch, don't rescue it from that ditch because you will be working. That will be work for you. And you don't work on the Sabbath. Silly, silly rules. And we could go on and on and on. Over 600 of them. In fact, you remember the story of the lawyer who asked Jesus what was the greatest commandment of the law? Matthew 22. But when he asked, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment of the law? Do you know why why he's asking that? He's basically asking, what law of all the laws we have do I absolutely have to keep in order to go to heaven? It's basically what he's asking. Because he knows the long list of things that the Pharisees and the scribes are teaching that you have to keep in order to be made right with God. Jesus is saying here that any kind of law-keeping is burdensome and amounts to a heavy yoke of oppression because no amount of law-keeping can bridge the gap between our sinfulness and God's holiness. Okay, even, uh, dear gentlemen, tonight, if you stopped sinning tonight, okay, and you lived the rest of your earthly life perfect and you kept the law of God perfectly that would not bridge the gap between you and holy God you know why because you've sinned and you know you've sinned against the holy not just against mom and dad not against just authority not against God God in fact God says that all of our righteous deeds are like in the book of Isaiah they're like what Filthy, yeah, filthy, dirty rags. And Paul says that no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Romans 3.20. The good news is that Jesus promises to all who come to him that he will give them rest from the heavy burden of trying to earn their way to heaven and rest from the the oppressive yoke and slavery of self-righteousness. In fact, Paul says to the Galatians in Galatians 1, he says, who bewitched you? Who tricked you? I gave you the gospel that Jesus saves. You can do nothing. And it's his grace alone, faith in Christ alone. And what did the Galatians start to do? They started to believe all the false teaching of the Pharisees and everybody around them saying, you have to do this, you do this, do, 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 do. And you can't do enough to earn your way to God. Salvation, heaven. Jesus instead here tenderly calls those who are heavy laden to take his yoke upon them. And in so doing, they will find rest for their souls. Now, what's a yoke? I'm not talking about an egg yoke. Don't be funny, okay? Uh, the neck attachment put on oxen, on a team of oxen. Precisely, yeah. Yeah, it's that wooden, it's that wooden frame joining two animals together to pull heavy loads. The yoke of Jesus is one of a joint relationship with him. It is light and easy to carry because it is a yoke of repentance from sin and faith in him unto eternal life. It is a yoke of discipleship with him, joined to him, who is the lover of our souls. It is a yoke of a singular commitment to knowing and following him. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. But, I know what some of you are probably thinking here. Maybe, I don't know. Oh, but Chris, the commands of of Jesus are, are very burdensome. 
They're very hard. And to an extent, I would say, okay, yeah. And you might throw out Matthew 5 to 7, right? Where he actually, Jesus actually goes above and beyond the mere outward conformity to the, keeping the laws. And, and, and instead, he deals with the inner person. Jesus goes straight to the attitude, the motives, the thoughts of the heart in which you and I are found guilty. Precisely. Precisely. What is the law of God, the holy law of God, the the commandments, the Ten Commandments, do for you and I? What are they supposed to do? Yeah? Guide us. Guide us, okay, good. And in that guiding, it's supposed to be guiding us pointing us, showing to us our desperate need of Christ and his righteousness, not our wisdom and intelligence, not our righteousness. So when the law is understood as a way of earning salvation, it becomes a yoke of slavery, Galatians 5.1. So by contrast, the yoke of Jesus, while demanding, the yoke of Jesus is easy Because it is from one who is, what does your text say? Gentle, lowly, humble in heart. And his yoke is easy and his burden is also light. Why? Because because he carries it with us. And because he has fulfilled the law's righteous demand perfectly in our behalf. For his children who believe and his spirit empowers their grateful obedience and therefore he alone can provide true rest for the soul because he died and rose again for sinners. And therefore, because of his love, (laughs) now you guys just think of that love, right? You get his righteousness, his perfect standing before holy God, welcomed eternally into heaven with him, okay? He gets your sin. That's the cross. That's that's the gospel. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we would be made the righteousness of God in him. You need perfect righteousness to stand before him. And so because in light of his love, guess what? His commandments are not burdensome. 1 John 5, 3. Because of his love. The life lived by faith in Christ is a much lighter yoke and a much easier burden to carry than the heavy, burdensome yoke of trying to earn your way to God by doing, 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 doing. When Jesus on the cross said, it is done, done, done. And so, dear young men, tonight, here is your soul's call to salvation tonight. In verses 25 to 26, we've seen the Father's requirement for salvation. You must have childlike, dependent faith. That is, nothing, you have nothing to offer God except, except, what do you bring to Him? What? Sin. Yeah, that's right. That's all we have to give Him our sin, our unworthiness. Verse 27, we've seen the Son's sovereignty. In salvation, he chooses to whom he will reveal God and his kingdom. And in verses 28 to 30, he calls souls that are enslaved to works, righteousness, pride, and the wisdom of the fallen world instead to be joyfully yoked 
to him who is gentle and lowly in heart so that you may find salvation's eternal rest in him. And then, then what does he say to those who are weary of their sin? Perhaps you're weary of your sin tonight. Perhaps you're burdened by your own law-abiding efforts to try and get right with God in this life, right? Oh, God, I, you, oh, oh, I blew it again. Or, oh, Mom and Dad, I can't, please, Mom and Dad, oh, I can't, oh, oh. What does he say to you tonight? There's those three simple words again. Come to me. Oh, but how hard that is when we have pride in our hearts and self-righteousness and we think it, no, we know it all, we got it all, we got life secured, we got everything, we know God. But there's been no humbling ourselves before God. He says, come to me as children. Remember, do you guys remember when you were like that small? You're right. And you used to jump into mom and dad's arms. The, the, the faith that you didn't even think twice. You just, you trusted them for the food and the drink and the clothes and the shelter. And now today you're thinking, mm, I got I to gotta save up for that. And I wonder if they have enough money for the next. Mm, I wonder. Mm. Complete faith and trust in him. In his word. He says, come to me. Come to me. How fast is it that we come to the sin which so easily entangles us? Right? Come to me. We're there. Jesus says, come to this, the God of the universe and the person of Jesus Christ and the eternal son. This is the best invitation ever. And his true adopted children, by the way, will not turn down this invitation because his sheep will hear his voice and they will come. What a rest he offers you tonight who are yoked, chained to your own self-righteousness when he gives you his righteousness. What rest he offers to you who are burdened by man's religion, trying to earn your way to God by laws and rules when he says, be ruled by my love and grace and let my word richly live within you. Not man's wisdom, not the world's wisdom. Then, then you will have rest, a rest that causes the Christian to declare in life and lip, I love you, Lord. I love your word and I want to keep it because of what you've done for a sinful, self-righteous lawbreaker like me. And when we realize the depth and the darkness and the blackness of our sin and the brightness of his holiness and his glory and his riches and his grace and his kindness... It's then that you'll turn and be saved. It's then that you'll come to him. So, as we wrap up our time tonight, just two points of of application here. It's hard to think, I, I want to assume that every young gentleman in this room is saved, is secure in Jesus Christ. And that heaven is truly your home. That Christ is your Lord and Savior. I would love to believe that. But there's a great possibility that you're not in Christ. 
So then what does Jesus say to you again tonight? Confess your sin and come to him. Confess your sin and come to him. You must have a humbled, broken, contrite heart before him. And you know what he says in his word to that? He says, I will not despise you. I will not turn you away. You were made for God, dear gentlemen. Therefore, your heart will be restless until it finds rest in him. So hear the divine, gracious, life-saving command right here, right now, tonight. Come to Jesus. There's no middle ground. There's no toying around. He will not be mocked. Come to Jesus. Proverbs 28, 13 says, He who conceals his transgressions, he who hides them and thinks, Oh, yeah, I can... No, I'm right with God. No, I can, yeah. No. He who conceals his transgressions, Proverbs 28, 13 says, he will, that man will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes his sin will find compassion. Do not harden your heart tonight. Do not be like the worldly wise and the intelligent. He knows it all. Humble yourself. Come to him. And number two, for those of you who are in Christ and who know him and have a relationship with him. Number two, marvel at his sovereign grace and keep coming to him. Marvel at it. Ponder it. Swim in it. Marvel at his sovereign grace that he would reveal himself to unworthy infants like you and I. That you, God, would show yourself to me and give me true life. And so just to, to help you marvel at the sovereign grace that he has given to you, it's Titus 3, 3 to 7. I'm not going to read that now, but part of your application for tonight's lesson is as you lay on your bed tonight, before you lay your head down on your pillow, please read Titus 3, 3 to 7, very slowly. And it summarizes what we've spoken of tonight. And it will help you to marvel afresh and anew at the sovereign grace of God. The believer, therefore, continues day and night to come to Christ, our righteousness, to find perfect rest in him now, tonight, and forever let's pray heavenly father uh, even as we've just sang a few moments ago if if you had not loved us first we would refuse you still and we would still be running our hell bound race lord if there are any here tonight that are still running that race thinking they can get right with you by doing right or by covering up or by hiding. May they know, Lord, that that is not the gospel. That is not the good news. Lord, may they know that the good news is that we are great sinners, but there is a great Savior who came from heaven to earth to save the lost, to save and heal the sick, and to give life to those who are spiritually dead, dead to you, very much alive to the world, but dead to you, 
And Lord, if there's any here tonight that are pretending to be what they're not, Lord, show them by your word. Those who are rejecting you, soften their heart, draw them to yourself. May they know, Lord, may we all know afresh and anew tonight that it is you who satisfies the weary soul. It is you who gives a perfect rest, which we could not earn for ourselves, but that you have purchased for us by your shed blood on the cross and by your resurrection. Thank you for such good news, Lord. May we be coming to you and knowing that eternal rest that you give to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Good job, guys. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and I'll try and throw it there. <laughs> oh, thank you, sir. You're welcome. I forgot to turn it off. No, no. Hopefully.